kids camp is happening. We had our first worship service in the back, which was awesome. Um, the cops were called because we were um, being a little too boisterous. Bowen said they could hear it all the way up at their house. So Tucker Gulch um, was worshipped to on Wednesday night by our young children. Obviously, the cops didn't do anything because we weren't doing anything wrong, but kind of fun to be able to be back out and involved. So kids camp is up and running. If you're signed up for it, we will continue to have outside worship at a couple different locations. Also, you can find on the website, the Salvation Army. Every year, we've been doing this for a number of years, where we as a church get involved with helping at-need kids back to school. So this year, we can't do it in person, but you can go on the website, you can click on our community page, and you can see the Salvation Army links. And in that link, you can click and email Jennifer Wilson, and Jennifer Wilson We'll tell you exactly how you can help. It's right now about a $75 donation, and that'll go towards anything these kids need, whether it be clothing, whether it be school supplies, to help them get back to school. So I want to encourage all of you to make sure you go there, click that link. And then the last thing, uh, we, our youth group has started to gather as well. So make sure you connect with our youth um, directors, Braden and Allie. We're going to do some sign-up geniuses, but that's going to be limited in, in space just because of everything we're going through. Um, we're going to be doing fire pits at their house, and right now we can only have about 10 kids at a time. They're going to be doing it every week, so the goal would be just to have this ongoing weekly gathering point for our youth. Uh, and just so you know, I've been asked this question, if you are in fifth grade going into sixth grade, you're welcome to attend these. Uh, so make sure you sign up for those. Let me know if you've got any questions about any of these announcements. And lastly, just um, places to give. Online, you can always do your online giving donations. And if you've got any questions about how that works, please let me know as well. But let's pray. Let's pray for our day. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are our God in the midst of everything that goes on in and around us. Even though we see change, even though we feel change, even though it might seem that things are uncertain, we know that you are our God and you are immutable. You are anchored in place both yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you are our God, and we come here to worship you. We know that you are the one that has given us promises about our future and our eternity, and regardless of the circumstances and the situations that surround us, we come here today to worship you because you are our God. So thank you for this opportunity, this privilege that it is to commune, to come together, to gather, even on the internet, to be able to come and share together the joy of what it looks like to truly worship you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship. And I was buried beneath my shame. could carry that kind of weight it was my tomb until I met you and I was breathing but not alive and all my fears I try to hide, and it was. 
was my tune until I met you. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. You called. goodness of God 
pray that you would get all the glory here this morning. God, thank you for Sean, all the work you put into delivering your truth to us this morning. God, we just ask that you would bless him. God, I pray, bless each of us in hearing it and putting uh, just action to these words that we would live, live out uh, just this challenge. And God, we just pray your, your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
good morning, everyone. Great to uh, see all you here this morning, those of you that are here in person and those of you that are online. It's great to have you joining us uh, this morning. It's crazy. It's been four months since we have had what I will call a normal service. Um, and I know it's uh, still kind of strange for us that are here. For those of you that are online, uh, make sure that you uh, are aware that you can join us live. We can have up to 50 people in the room, and we've got maybe a little bit shy of that today, but we've got a good group here. But make sure you uh, sign up, RSVP online if you're interested in joining us in person. And if you're not ready for that quite yet, that's fine too. Uh, we're just glad to have you join us online. We are going to uh, look at the next passage in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. And this will be a kind of a continuation of the theme of identity that Dan talked about last week. And in this passage, Paul uses the imagery of light and darkness to to further communicate this theme of identity and to really affirm the spiritual condition of his readers. And the question that we are trying to ask this morning is this. How do I live as a child of light in a world that seems to be getting darker and darker? And I'll be honest, I really struggled with this question this week. I taught on this passage probably 15, 16 years ago in our men's Bible study. So I had notes. I started with a structure. And as I was going through it, I'm like, yeah, some of that's still valid. But, but really, the application between then and now is so different. And so I, I, I usually, um, when I'm preparing for a sermon, I usually like to have things kind of buttoned up and ready to go by Thursday or Friday. And um, that didn't happen this week. I was still working on this yesterday afternoon at 2 or 3 o'clock and just kind of starting to panic a little bit about, oh, man, this is just not coming together. So it was just this battle because this is not an easy question to answer, especially in our day and age. I mean, I have some thoughts for you. This probably won't be my most polished sermon, but I've got some thoughts. But again, it was just a battle getting through this. So it'd probably be good for me to start with prayer. So let's pray. Father God, I do just thank you for this opportunity to share this message this morning. And just that your word is always living and active. It is so relevant to our day and age. It was relevant 16 years ago when I taught this but it had a very different relevance. And it's relevant today, and it has a different relevance, a different significance. So I pray that we would just come away with this, with some thoughts on this question, that we would be better prepared to be light in the darkness. And Lord, that we would be just better at trusting you and leaning into you and, and digging into your word and just, just learning how to do this. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us in this building and in all the homes around the community that people are watching this and around the world even. I just pray that your spirit would bring us together in unity around the truth of your word. And I pray that you would be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we look at our passage in Ephesians, I want to look at a passage from the Gospel of John that provides some background on this imagery that Paul uses here. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this, says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when Jesus used these words, he was teaching in the temple courts in Jerusalem. And if we look back a little bit in John chapter 7, we would see that the context for this particular visit to Jerusalem was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews practiced a tradition known as the illumination of the temple. And in the temple treasury, there, there stood these, these four massive candelabras. So picture that just in the sanctuary here. Four massive candelabras as tall as the temple walls themselves. And on top of these candelabra were these huge torches that held like 20 gallons of oil each. And when they would light these torches for this illumination of the temple, the light from these flames would illuminate most of the city. And the Levites would play songs and, and of praise on their harps and their cymbals and other musical instruments. And, and the men of Jerusalem would dance around them with these bright torches. Now the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated the 40 years that Israel spent in the desert. It's also called the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tents where basically they lived in these temporary shelters and went through the desert for 40 years. So they were commemorating how God sheltered them and protected them through that time. And then the illumination of the temple commemorated the great fire, that pillar of fire that God used to guide the Israelites through the desert to the promised land. And interestingly, it was the morning after this celebration of the illumination of the temple that Jesus made the statement, I am the light of the world. So he's contextualizing it. The Jews are celebrating the light that led them through the desert, and Jesus is saying, I am now the light of the world. I am now the guide. I am now the Messiah. And then Paul picks up this theme, and he uses this idea of light and darkness throughout his letters and in our passage this morning, which is Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So again, you see the context here and what, what they would be thinking. Now, the context of our particular passage is important, because remember, Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians is about doctrine and theology and the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are really the more practical application. How do we live that out? How do we live a life worthy of that calling? How do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ? And then within those last three chapters, there's this section. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, verse, through, verses, through chapter 5, verse 20. And in most of your Bibles, that's probably labeled instructions for Christians li Christian living. And this is actually one of the longest sections in the New Testament about what it looks like to live as a believer to live separated from the world. So let's dig in and unpack the heart of this passage. First, Paul tells his readers that they were once darkness. Now notice he doesn't say they were living in darkness. 
or they were influenced by the darkness, or they were surrounded by the darkness. He says, you were darkness. And this ties back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul tells his readers they were dead in their transgressions and sin. They were following the ways of the world. They were gratifying the cravings of their sinful flesh, and they were objects of wrath. So before Christ, they were dead and hopelessly lost. They were darkness. And that's the way we all are before Christ. I know my life before Christ, that's what was characterized by. I didn't become a believer until my early 20s. And I look back, you know, in, in both kind of shame and embarrassment and incredible thankfulness that, that God took me from that darkness, that turned me from darkness into light. And then Paul continues in verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now, in a sense here, you can look at, at, at verse 8 here as a summary of the entire letter. Here's what you were, here's what you are, and here's what you do. I mean, you could even say this is a summary of Paul's theology because Paul's theology throughout his letters is really centered on the contrast of life before Christ versus life with Christ. And who better to get across that message than Paul, who was called Saul and was a legalistic Pharisee and a persecutor of Christians before the road to Damascus, before he encountered the risen Lord. <clears throat> and this is really a statement about identity. It's a statement about who we are in Christ. We are light in the world. And we are made light in the, in the world by the Lord, by his grace. Looking again back to chapter 2, but now going on to verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, so you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy didn't give us the punishment that we deserve, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, we are made light in the Lord by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And because we are light in the Lord, we are to live as children of light. And we are to be different from those who are in darkness. But, but how do we know that we're living as children of light? Well, one of the key things that he talks about here is the fruit that we bear. And we see this elsewhere. We see this in Galatians chapter 5 where, where Paul compares the, the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of, of, of the enemy versus the fruit of the spirit. <clears throat> and here he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So he writes about what it's like. What are these characteristics that accompany the light and characterize our lives? And the first one is goodness. Now the word here comes from a Greek term that means love in action. 
It can also be translated as kindness or self-sacrifice. So a life of goodness stems from a willingness to practice kindness and self-sacrifice. Not just in the big things, not just in the grand gestures, but in the everyday little things. And our lives as light in Christ will be characterized by that self-sacrifice, by that kindness. The second characteristic is righteousness, which here means living in integrity before God and before people. And someone who is righteous demonstrates an inner moral conformity of their character to the character of God. And this is something we're all doing. This is what's called sanctification. We all, after you, become, after you come to Christ, every day, every week, every month, you are becoming more and more like Christ. Your inner character is becoming more and more righteous, more and more conformed. We're made righteous in Christ. We're justified when we come to Christ. But we also continue to become more and more like him as we grow in our Christian walk. The third characteristic is truth, which in this context represents an absence of deception and falsehood. So the person who is characterized by truth is sincere and genuine in their speech. So goodness is about what we do. Righteousness is about the way we live, and truth is about the way we speak. And so one of the ways we know that we are living as children of light is we bear these fruits. Now in verse 10, Paul continues and says, and find out what pleases the Lord. And he's referring here to finding, to seeking out, to digging for the will of the Lord and doing the will of God. Now, God's will is not as mysterious or elusive as it may seem. I think we all kind of struggle with, what is God's will for my life? Now, if you were to ask a Jew or an Israelite back in this day, what is God's will for your life? Their answer would be to follow Torah, to follow the law to the best of my ability. That is God's will for my life. And that's a wonderful answer. Now, that's not necessarily our answer. Our answer is still to follow the will of God that is revealed to us in his word. But it's pretty simple. It's there. It's in black and white in the Bible. So we need to spend time in the word finding out what is pleasing to the Lord and then doing it. Now, if you've ever had a garden, you know that the key to a productive garden is constant you're always out there tilling it, you're pulling weeds, you're watering it, you're amending the soil, you're adding fertilizer, all that stuff. And, and the same goes with our spirituality. If we work diligently at understanding God, God's will for our lives, we will produce fruit. And when we produce fruit, we learn more about God. And when we learn more about God, we see more ways to serve and more ways to produce fruit. And it's this beautiful cycle of growth. Now verse 11, Paul shifts. And tells his readers what not to do. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. As children of the light, we are not to partake of the works of darkness anymore. And these works of darkness are things that Paul has already mentioned throughout his letter. Things like speaking falsehood, bitterness, rage, anger, slander, sexual immorality, greed, coarse joking, unwholesome talk, etc., etc., etc. And if, in, if we partake in those deeds of darkness on a regular, continual, knowing basis, 
then darkness once again takes root in our lives. Now, Dan talked about this a little bit last week, and I want to reiterate here. This doesn't mean, this doesn't suggest that when you come to Christ, you just stop sinning and everything's great. That's a common misconception. We all stumble on occasion, but we should not be characterized by these deeds of darkness. That should not be who we are. And then verse 11 goes on to say, not only should you avoid the deeds of darkness, but you are to expose them as well. And the word expose comes from a Greek word that means to rebuke, to correct, to punish, to discipline. But what's the message we get from the world? Does the world tell us to expose these deeds of darkness, to confront the darkness? No, the world tells us to be tolerant. The world tells us to be tolerant of behaviors that the Bible says are sinful. In a sense, the world says to tolerate the darkness, not expose it. And it gets very upset when we do expose it, when we speak out against it. And we see a lot of churches today, unfortunately, giving in to this mindset, kind of capitulating to the world's view of this. And a lot of churches tolerate sinful behavior for the sake of growth, for the sake of acceptance, maybe out of fear of offending the culture. But according to this passage, and many others like it throughout Scripture, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to condone the darkness. We're supposed to expose it. I mean, think about all the darkness in the world today. I mean, 2020 has been quite a year. And if anything, 2020 has given us a sharp focus on all of the darkness in the world. It has come to the light. And that's a good thing. Because we want to expose it. But think about everything that's going on out there. The racism, the injustice, the oppression, the exploitation, human trafficking, drug abuse, domestic violence, abortion. All of these issues are coming to a head in our society. And there's a lot of darkness in the world and it's not trending in the right direction. So what do we do as followers of Christ to expose that darkness? Now, there are times when we are called to expose that darkness directly, when we are called to confront it. You may be called to join a peaceful protest. You may be called to volunteer your time or donate your money to an organization fighting for what's right. You may be called to speak against sin and injustice. You may be called to confront sin in, in, within someone in your family or a friend or someone you work with. And when you're called to do those things, you should do them. But we have to make sure that our heart is in the right place when we do that. Make sure your motives are right. I mean, ask yourself, am I doing this because I want to be right or because I want to do right? Am I in it for me? Am I trying to make myself look better or am I in it for this other person who maybe can't act or speak on their own behalf? So there are times when we are to confront or expose the darkness directly, but we need to do so with the right motives. But more often than not, I think we're supposed to expose the darkness 
indirectly. Not necessarily speaking at it or speaking against it, but by bringing light into that darkness. You see, darkness is dispelled simply by the presence of light. You walk into a pitch black room, you flip on a light switch, turn on a flashlight, turn on your phone, whatever, and immediately the darkness starts to recede. And that's what Paul's referring to here in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And we bring the presence of the light by carrying the Spirit of God with us. As a believer in Christ, I have the Spirit of God within me, living within me. As believers in Christ, you have the Spirit of God living within you. And when we live accordingly, when we live consistently with that, in integrity with that, then we bring light into the situations that we find ourselves in. The world around us lies, but we speak truth. The world around us speaks coarsely or with obscenity. We speak with purity. The world around us engages in sexual immorality, even promotes it, but we remain pure. The world around us lashes out with violence, but we remain peaceful. The world around us hates, but we love. The world around us celebrates the darkness, but we bring the light of Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells the believers, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people put a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is bringing light into the darkness. Now, I can't tell you exactly what this looks like in your world. And I think this was part of my struggle this week was feeling like I had to come with specific application points or specific answers for how you deal with this in your world. But every one of you are going to confront a different kind of darkness, different shades, different levels, different circumstances. And so I can't speak into each one of those. You may deal with stuff in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. We had some, some friends over for dinner last night, and uh, the gal was talking about someone she works with that practices witchcraft. Well, I've never confronted that, personally. You know? and, and so we have all these kind of unique situations out there. And Paul doesn't really give us a formula here either of how to exactly to expose the darkness. He just says, don't practice the deeds of darkness and expose it. Bring your light into it. But what I can tell you is that the way we respond to whatever darkness we encounter, the way we respond comes from within. It comes from the condition of our hearts. So that's the thing we can focus on. That's one of the things we can control is the condition of our hearts. So back to my original question, how do I live as a child of light in a world that seems to be getting darker and darker? And so I'm going to attempt to address that question with four general principles that I believe apply to all situations. Hello. 
Now, the first is that we, too, we are to be aware that we are fighting a spiritual battle. This is so crucial to recognize. Starting in August, we're going to be preaching um, on the last chapter of Ephesians. And in, in chapter 6, Paul addresses the topic of spiritual warfare. So we're going to spend several weeks going through this topic and how we prepare for this. But as we're considering how we believe, or excuse me, how we live as children of the light in an ever-darkening world, it's important to remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we have to realize we are fighting a spiritual battle. It is easy to get caught up in the personal battles. It is easy to get caught up in the emotions of what's going on and to take a side and to go to battle against other people that think differently than we do. But that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to make it personal. He wants us to be divisive. Because as long as we're defending our opinion against the opinion of someone else, we're going to be distracted from sharing the love of Christ. And instead of being light, we start to slip into the darkness ourselves. So we need to remember we're in a spiritual battle. Now the second general principle here is to be prayerful. Because the best weapon that we have in a spiritual battle is prayer. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, I urge then... First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now notice he doesn't write, I urge you first of all to make your opinion known on social media. And notice he doesn't write, I urge you first of all to fight against those ideologies that you don't agree with. And notice he doesn't say, I urge you first of all to browbeat people into your way of thinking. Rather he says, I urge you first of all to pray for all people so that as Paul says, we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Which sounds pretty good in 2020. That sounds like a good way to live. And that leads to the third general principle here of answering this question of how we live as children of the light, which is that we are to be peaceable. We are to be people of peace. I mean, if we feel offended with what's going on in the world, or if we feel threatened, or if we feel angry, or if we feel fearful, it's easy to lash out. But scripture tells us to be peaceable. In Romans 12, 17 through 18, Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then in Hebrews 12, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. 
So numerous times in Scripture, we are called to live in peace with everyone, which can be challenging, especially in a world that just is so polarized today. But if the Bible says that that's what we're supposed to do, then there must be a way to do it. And one of the ways that I think we approach this is by abiding in Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches, and that we will bear fruit only if we remain in him, and only if we remain in his word. And at the end of that section, Jesus says, this is my command, love each other. So I take from that that if we abide in Christ and if we remain in his word, then one of the outcomes of that will be love. And with that love that comes from God, we can love each other and maybe we can be at peace with everyone. But it's not something we can do on our own. It's something that comes from that deep abiding relationship with God. Now the fourth answer to the question or the fourth principle here is to be courageous. I've had several conversations in different settings over the last couple of weeks. And this is a theme that keeps coming up again and again and again. People are doing their quiet times, they're reading their Bible, they're in prayer, and they keep getting this message. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. And that is a really important message in our day with whatever, everything that's going on in the world. And this is a message that God consistently gave his people, Old Testament and New Testament, throughout the Bible. And as I was studying this week, I kind of, I spent some time looking at some of these passages, and I found at least a dozen examples, and I didn't even look that hard. I'm not going to read you a dozen, but let me read you a few examples. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then one of my personal favorites, one of the first passages I ever memorized, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the Bible is this amazing collection of stories of people that have faced incredibly difficult circumstances and have persevered because of their faith in God and because of his presence in their lives. So if Christ is your Savior, you are a child of the Most High God, the sovereign God of the universe, the creator God of the universe. And he's promised to be with you no matter what. So how do you live as a child of light in an ever-darkening world? Well, one, be aware that you are in a spiritual battle. 
Be prayerful for all people. Be peaceable and be courageous. Don't be afraid. In his autobiography, Benjamin Franklin tells a story of trying to convince the citizens of Philadelphia that lighting the streets at night would be a really good idea for safety, for security, for convenience of getting around. When he failed to convince them with with his words, he, he bought a large lantern and placed it on a long bracket that extended from the front of his house. And each evening at dusk, he lit the lantern and his neighbors very quickly began to notice this this warm glow in front of his home. And and the people passing by on the street appreciated the feeling of safety that came with this light and the way that the light helped them make their way through the rough cobblestone streets of Philadelphia. And pretty soon, others began putting lanterns out in front of their houses as well. And eventually, the city recognized the need for well-lit streets. Now, 2020 has been a crazy year so far. I remember the last, last couple years, I was looking at 2020 and for some reason just feeling like something was going to change. And I don't know what, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was something more personal or, you know, just, I just wasn't sure. <laughs> now, now I kind of have a good sense of what God was, was kind of projecting there. It's been crazy and there's a lot of darkness out there. And there is a, a pretty common feeling that it's getting worse. But rather than be fearful, rather than be anxious in the midst of all this darkness, hang your lantern. Put your lantern out. Let the world see the light of Christ in you in such a way that they will see the need for his light in their lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, you are just such an amazing God. We are so, so grateful, Lord, to have you in our lives. We are so grateful for the, for the peace that you bring us, the security that you bring us, the promises throughout the Bible that, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that we don't have to be afraid, that we can be courageous, and that, Lord, that you have made us light in the world. When, when Jesus was here, he was the light of the world. But when he died and was resurrected, you made us light in the world. You made us a reflection of that light to the world around us. So, Lord, we just want to abide in you. We want to remain in you. We want to draw close to you so that the light we reflect to the world around us is genuine and sincere and bright and warm and attractive and will draw people to your heart. So thank you for the opportunity that you, that you give us to do that. And Lord, just help us to live as children of light in an ever-darkening world. In Jesus' name we pray. Bring it all.
Jesus, the only one who could ever say 
thanks so much for your truth through Sean this morning. That reminder to be aware, to be prayerful. The other thing he said that I can't think of right now. Peaceful. And to be courageous. Thanks, Beth. Lord, we pray that your voice would be so loud in our in our day these days. Just as we seek you moment by moment, God, I pray that. As every situation we change, we see here, every situation that we walk into is maybe a little different from everybody else. Lord, help us to uh, to really hear your voice, your perspective in the midst of it. And I pray you'd give us ears to hear. Let's close with this song this morning. Let's stand together.
as we go from here. Lord, help us to live as light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week.